coming up. Oh, how's things? And they go, things are pants. At that point, that to me is a rock moment. And that's when you need to get yourself out of the way and not go into automatic fix it. January can be a tough month for many, but with COVID-19 job insecurity, a lot of people are struggling alone with their mental health. So how can you help? Digital learning that's dramatically different. Welcome to this TED Learning Podcast. Hello, I'm Darren from TED Learning, and with me is Mandy Priest. Now, Mandy is a communications tutor and author of Being Rock. Now, Being Rock came about after she became an end-of-life volunteer and discovered that actively listening wasn't enough. People needed to feel heard. And in 2017, her training was awarded the Princess Royal Training Award for Best Practice in the Workplace. Mandy has now helped other hospices set up similar schemes. And in 2019, Mandy was the NHS Unsung Hero Volunteer of the Year. And her joy of receiving the award was matched by being asked to be part of the NHS Helpful Steering Group on volunteering within the NHS. Hello, Mandy. Thank you, Darren. Lovely to be here. Uh, lovely to have you here and, and just tell us about Being Rock uh, and just tell me about the book and what it is. I think it's easier to explain to your listeners about how it came about actually. What happened was that I started volunteering on a ward with people at end of life and asked if I could go and sit with people who were on their own who didn't have any family or friends visiting. And what happened was that the staff had asked me to go and be a listener. So I was trying very hard with my listening, Darren. And what I realised is I wasn't quite getting it right. It was a bit like I was listening, but the person speaking wasn't really getting the value of me being there. So I had decided to stop trying to be a professional listener, you know, active listener, make eye contact, do all the things that I knew you were supposed to do. And instead, let the patients and their families teach me what it means to be alongside someone to listen to people in difficult circumstances as an everyday person, as somebody who's not professionally trained, as someone who they don't expect to have all the answers, as someone who's not their therapist. And what I discovered was that there's this whole new way of looking at listening that we don't talk about. And for me, it's like everyday listening, community listening, connection that we have between each other, our families, our friends and our colleagues. And so one day I was out for a walk with my husband and he was saying, well, what is it this thing you do? Is it listening? And I said, no, it's like you have to be a rock for someone. You have to be there in a moment when they're exploring something deep so that they can bash and crash against you and know that you're safe and that you're an anchor for them. Also, part of being rock, I think, is also when somebody's sharing their joy and we bask in the joy with them. We don't try and outshine them or compete with them. Instead, we just are there being their rock. It's changed the way I listen to people and it's been completely transformatory for me and for my family, actually. So that's how it happened. So what have you found as the overall benefit then to doing it your way as opposed to doing it the traditional way that we're told to listen to people? Well, I think the surprise for me, Darren, was that there is a huge difference between being a really good listener and the other person feeling heard. So for me, the investigation is how do we enable someone to feel heard? And I can give you a really um, 
good everyday example about that. So say you have got somebody who's not grown up with mobile phones, somebody who's more in the age bracket of we didn't have mobiles when we were young. We're obviously far too young for them. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah. <laughs> so say, we're, say somebody is talking to their grandson who is on their mobile phone, who's in his 20s, right? And he's texting away and he's listening because it turns out that teenagers can do that. You know, young people can do that. They can text and listen. <laughs> but are we feeling heard? Mm-mm. No, we're not feeling heard because we don't feel that that person is showing us that they're listening. And there are, I found out that there were loads of examples of people not feeling heard. And one of them, the biggest surprise for me, is when I was trying very hard to be that perfect listener and lean forward and make eye contact. It wasn't working when people were very vulnerable because suddenly I was shining a light on them and exposing them too much. And so what I realised was in order to be heard sometimes, the listener has to take a back seat. The listener has to be almost like you wouldn't really notice them. And that's the big difference, I think, that I learnt. It's in everyday listening, we have to get ourselves out of the way because it's not professional listening. It's not like we're going to our therapist and expecting them to listen to us, make eye contact and give us solutions. It's not that type of listening. What it is, is I'm going to go for a walk with you and you're going to tell me, actually, I'm really struggling and I'm just going to walk alongside you. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that, you know, so you tell me a story, I'll then try and empathise with you by telling you a better story. And and actually, I suppose you can almost come across as trying to compete with their story. Yeah. Where the person who's trying to offload to us will go, yeah, you had it bad, but I had this problem and that problem. <laughs> you can almost become across as like trying to compete with their problem rather than trying to help them, can't you? Yeah, yeah. I think we have grown up now in a society, a fix-it society, where there should be a solution for everything and that we should offer that and offer our experience, whatever that is. So our natural response to any situation is to go in and help someone. And one of the biggest things I learned from supporting people at end of life is to let go of that word help and change it to how can I support? And if I change it that way, then I think, how can I be alongside someone, I can be a rock for them so that through me, they can hear themselves and come up with their own ideas on how they can improve their situation, their mental health, their whatever's bothering them at the time. Part of that in your book is talking about presence. What I realised was rather than trying to lean forward and worry about my body language, because I was worrying about my body language and making sure that, you know, I didn't cross my arms or whatever. So I wasn't listening anymore. I was just focusing on me and my body language. One of the things I really noticed is that presence is a really special thing that not a lot of us talk about. We talk about it maybe in spirituality, you know, Buddha, presence, that sort of thing. But everyday presence is incredible. So let me give you an example. Many of us will have had times in our lives where a complete stranger has come up to us and shared something quite deeply, whether that's in a bus queue, on a train, in a shop. And they'll share something and you think, wow, why did they choose me? Well, they chose you because of your presence. They looked at you and they knew that instantly that you were a safe person. And I think what we don't realise is what an honour that is, my goodness. 
but also why did they choose us? Well, they chose us because in that moment when they looked at us, they saw us being authentically ourselves. So for me, authenticity is a big part of presence. When somebody is sharing something quite deep with you, they're sharing it with you because they trust you, they see you as their rock. What they don't want you to then do is change into a listener. They want you to carry on being you. And that, when that penny dropped for me, it was huge. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because in the workplace, you've been in management and I've been in management, you instantly go to fix-it mode, don't you? Because that's the role of our jobs that we had. And you're saying really at that particular moment when you're being present, that's not the way to be. And how does being present and not being Mrs. or Mr. Fixer help the person that is coming to you for help? Yeah, and I think that the big difference is that there is an opportunity to allow people to share their problems. Now, obviously, when you're in a business situation and you're having a meeting, that's a very different thing. What I'm talking about is the conversations you have when you're all in the canteen making a cup of coffee. And somebody comes in and says, look sad. And you say, oh, how's things? And they go, "I'm things are pants. At that point, that to me is a rock moment. And that's when you need to get yourself out of the way and not go into automatic fix it. Now, that's really interesting because you and I have talked about this. And there's a tell, isn't there, that you can listen out for. And it's universal when you realise that someone's coming to you as a rock. Just tell me about the language that's used there and how you can use that to dig a bit deeper. People will suddenly drop into the conversation something you don't expect. Or they'll give you a question, like a do you question. Let's give an example, um, perhaps not for every day, but like, do you think I've got a drink problem? Do you think I've been putting on weight? Do you think I'm any good at my job? Those sort of things. I think they're gambits. They're gambits for, can you hear me? Because I'm struggling inside. And it depends how somebody says it. If I say, oh, I went to a party last night and, oh, I had a bit too much to drink. God, do you think I have a drink problem? then that's just like reassurance. Yeah, we all get drunk every now and again, right? But if I said to you, I've been worrying about something a lot recently and it's been a really big deal and do you think I've got a drink problem? That's a completely different thing. And that to me is a rock moment. So it's that fall in intonation at the end. But there was that story that you did that always sticks with me that we talked about a few years ago when you were walking around Hengisbury Headway and you just met a stranger who chatted to you. And that was really a good example of being present and that gambit that you talked about. She was obviously a gran with two young children and she said very loudly, I was in front of her, to shouted to the children, don't go near the edge. And then apologised to me for shouting in my ear. She said, I'm an over-attentive grandmother. And I said, oh, I'd love my mum to be around to be an over-attentive grandmother because I've lost my mum. So there was my like, that's my thing. I need to be heard. You know, my kid doesn't have a gran. But what happened was she said, oh, you've lost someone. And she said, my husband died eight months ago. And immediately I hear now she's still counting in months, understandably, And so I said, eight months. And that's all I said. And she just poured out her heart to me, absolutely poured out her heart to me. And that is that coming, picking up on the cue that somebody actually is desperate to be heard. 
It's also not being afraid of silence. Yeah. You know, in our busy lives, if someone says something as a gambit and then you, you repeat that back to them and then stay quiet, it's just staying quiet to allow them to then come forward. Yeah. And I think there's two things alongside that moment that you talk about us being at Hengisbury Head. The two things are, one, I have discovered that eye contact isn't everything, presence is. I'm not saying that eye contact isn't good in appropriate situations, but she doesn't now need me to stare at her. She needs me to be alongside her, both of us looking at a nice view, because then she can just pour out her heart without feeling embarrassed. So think of all the times that you've had amazing conversations with your children, your partners, your colleagues in a car. And that just goes to show you how important presence is but not necessarily always eye contact. And the other thing is, yeah, I just held silence. A funeral director told me years ago, if you don't know what to say, take a beat. And I've never forgotten that advice. We are always quite uncomfortable with silence, me included. It's not easy to hold silence sometimes, but actually the power of it is huge, absolutely huge particularly when people are in recall. So you know when somebody is talking and then they look away and kind of almost look up to the left away from you and you can see they're pondering something. Well, when somebody's doing that, they're using the recall part of their brain. And if we break that silence, what happens is they forget their train of thought. We've all had this many times in our lives where you think, I cannot remember what I was just saying. That's probably because somebody's just interrupted you during that recall. And what I've discovered is if somebody's not looking at me, they are not looking for a response from me. I have to hold silence instead. Mandy, thank you. Well, that's all from Mandy and I in this podcast. You can get a copy of Mandy Priest's book or ebook called Being Rock from Amazon. And you can hear all of our chats with Mandy Priest on our website, podcast.tedlearning.co.uk, or you can get it from all good podcast platforms. <laughs> <laughs>